Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new podcast. My name is Kyle, and we're going to be talking with the strategy and insights team at the GOAT agency. We're going to spend the next hour putting our heads together. Hopefully, we won't talk too much nonsense. But yeah, let's get into it. Let me explain. Strategy? Let's talk a little strategy, guys. What else could you possibly want? I mean, to start off, I think probably being a strategy podcast and not actually having a name for the podcast yet is it's probably counterproductive but um we'll get there we'll, we'll come up with a name yeah i know it's funny a strategy team can't come up with any ideas <laughs> Does, doesn't reflect well yeah exactly but you got to wait for something that's going to be good good enough yeah um and justify it so yeah i don't know jago do you want to quickly just introduce yourself and what you do yeah so uh i'm i'm jago um strategist at the goat agency um so my team basically look after the kind of yeah, ideas, strategy, pitch decks, try to keep our ears to the ground and know what's going on in the world um, to try and inform everything we do. And I think the purpose of this is us basically trying to give that to you guys, whoever whoever's listening. Soph? Cool. Yeah, I'm Sophie. I am a client director. So essentially overseeing all of our kind of tier one clients, overseeing the strategy, what we're doing, what they're doing. How can we provide more value? What are the opportunities? And really trying to provide that strategic input to, I guess, in uh, the most crude way, get clients to spend more money with us. Eliza? So I'm Eliza and I'm one half of the Insights team. And basically what we do is we make sure that we are aware of all the changes happening. We're like involved with a lot of competitor analysis. So when we do approach brands, we kind of understand what their competitors are doing and doing a lot of social listening report as well, understanding the space a lot. So that's kind of what, what the Insights team is involved with. Great. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm Kyle. I'm... Um one of the business development managers at GOAT. I work a lot with with everybody, all these lovely people on, on the podcast, coming up with different ideas and strategies to use influences in ways that are, are a bit different. Um, at GOAT, we've always had the idea that that the way people consume content and the way people use platforms is, is going to change. But that was kind of the idea that it was going to take a bit longer. And now with the current situation, I think that's all been escalated and um, happened really quickly yeah it kind of feels like we're on much more of like a level playing field with with everyone because uh i mean i got this probably might not be relevant and might not be included i got a uh kind of poached on on linkedin through not poached but someone's messaged me saying one of like the biggest agencies is looking to open up their own influencer arm and they're really looking for someone who's got their own who's got years of experience or like really understands the space which really seems to show that we're on a level playing field now, like not only just influencers, but people who are losing all of their budget from that out of home or they were in that traditional marketing mix. And now they're like, shit, we need to be reactive. We need to hire. We need to get someone who understands influencers because I guess us doing it every day and living and breathing it, we we don't understand, like don't, don't understand how complex it maybe is for an outsider looking in. I think everyone always thinks it's just like influencer gets product posts like uploads gets engagements whereas there's so like there's so many more complex things around it and coming up with that strategy and people don't seem to appreciate that until they try and do it themselves yeah i've had so many times where people have been like oh yeah influencers that's just some girl in a bikini off love island who holds up a, 
a product and takes a picture. Like that's that's just not it. I think that's what what we I, what I imagine we're trying to do here. Obviously, we're still figuring it out, but we're trying to bring our spin or our opinion of of the current state of marketing, I suppose, and and the world. Because, um, like you say, a lot of people don't really understand what we do and where our position is. I mean, we we touch on this quite a few times, and it's been spoken about on on the vlog how sometimes marketeers and and marketing campaigns are done just to try and please other marketeers and they they're kind of like they're quite they're quite clever and they're quite witty but at the end of the day if the whole the the purpose of them is to um kind of build up brand awareness and get people to buy products and services then i think there's a bit of a difference between creativity and um kind of strategy and and really coming up with clever mechanics that are going to help you develop in a business um and i think this is where the platforms come in and the uses of different platforms and and how they've changed um eliza it would be good to get your kind of thoughts because you obviously are doing a lot of insights into different platforms new platforms that are coming and going um yeah it would be good to get your thoughts on that yeah i mean in terms of the platform updates and the changes that are happening i think the real success stories are coming from the likes of tiktok who are really creating an environment where you can make viral content and really make an impact on having that brand awareness and you see this with a lot of platforms now trying to steal the kind of the light from tiktok and adding their own features that are very similar um, i mean youtube are looking into making youtube shorts um youtube shorts sorry um because they're trying to replicate the same kind of energy that TikTok has at the moment. And you will, I mean, you see that all through platforms, they steal from each other because they're trying to monopolize the amount of people they can get onto their platform and keep them there for longer. Um, but I mean, it begs the question, do you think you'd want to see the kind of TikTok content on YouTube? There's like drawbacks, but there are benefits to it as well. I mean, one of the issues with Vine, which was um, before TikTok was the fact that they couldn't keep influencers on that platform because there was no way of monetizing the content. And that's why a lot of them moved over to YouTube. And from that, they were able to make themselves millionaires because they got ad revenue. And this is kind of the, the issue that TikTok are facing at the moment as well. How do you keep your creators on that platform? And if YouTube create YouTube shorts and it's a success, it's gonna be good because there's, always a, there's already a way to monetize content on that platform, whereas TikTok hasn't got that yet. If you look at who, like, the biggest YouTubers are now, like, David Dobrik is no doubt huge in the US and he started on Vine and he still talks about it and looking at it's so true how people are going to go from TikTok. But it's kind of that place where how there was all the, those jokes that everyone was like, oh, Twitter is, like, where you come and it's a safe place because everyone makes the same jokes. It was, like, very much like that same community on Vine where... I scroll through TikTok and I'm like, wow, that is so close to the line. Or like that joke is I'm almost offended, but I'm really quite a hard to offend person. And it's like that space to be totally free, which I think is why brands have been so slow off the mark to kind of adapt to a new platform because the content is so raw and so ready. And the people who have gone onto TikTok have killed it. Like there was a case study of um when calvin klein launched their my calvin's campaign on tiktok sometime last year and they they got more views on the content than they did on uh when they launched their justin bieber ad which 
was hailed as their most successful ad. So brands who do it right can kill it. But I think the biggest problem, and I think we find that a lot internally, like trying to sell TikTok to a client who isn't necessarily TikTok safe. Like we have been astonished how many clients are being like, we'll still stick to to Snapchat for trying to reach that under 17 audience or that real like Gen Z audience. And I think people are disillusioned by how people use Snapchat and how they use it now. Like Snapchat is a person to person. It's where you chat to people. It's how people use WhatsApp. Whereas TikTok is really like, if you can jump on that now and be one of the first brands and you can kill it. I know uh, Chipotle in the US had like, great success on there doing their guacamole challenge but yeah it'd be interesting to see what you guys think or yeah. who who you think, think has done it well i, I think it's it, it's weird because you like when i go and speak to brands so often they're like oh yeah we want to do tiktok and they're literally just saying that because that's what they've been told that is the big the big platform now they're not taking into consideration like what the the benefits of each of those platforms as you were saying so if like each platform has its pros and has its cons and has its different audiences. And I often feel like people just think, oh, we've, we've just got to have a presence on there. Well, no, you kind of need to find what your platform is and then really own that. Certain brands as well try and copy and paste their content strategies across all platforms. And they kind of don't yeah. realize that you need to um, kind of pivot, pivot it per platform. So content that's good on Instagram for that brand isn't going to be the same content that works on TikTok because it's a completely different entity. Like you can't, you can't treat it in the same way. So I think that's a massive issue as well because they have to change the way in which they deliver content strategies on platforms. Like when they go, well, TikTok is just for younger kids or like that's not the generation I'm trying to target. They seem to forget about creating that brand affinity. And like, if you can create a brand for yourself within that market when they grow up and they have that spending power which in a few years they no doubt are going to have your front of mind for that that person Mm. and that consumer and they remember that funny thing you did way back then and now I'm in a place to buy that higher value item or whatever it might be it seems to be that the more luxury brands are just not going on there whereas I know like Mercedes-Benz launched a tiktok challenge which you really wouldn't expect but it means they're maximizing their output of content like they've created a load of content or they've got all of this amazing behind the scenes content from their really premium polished tv adverts that they just can't post but they can post that on tiktok because that's the content people want to see tiktok as a platform it's one of those ones where it's at the mercy of the users so Obviously, you can you can run ads on TikTok and 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 reach certain people, but a the creatives aren't like they are anywhere else. You can't have a creative on one platform replicated exactly the same on on TikTok like you're saying, Eliza. But um, a, a success on Instagram needs that that user generated virality, so it needs to be recreatable. It needs to be like interpretable. It needs to be quite loose, so a lot of people can do it. But what do you think of Jago? What do you think of? Sorry, but that that's the Mercedes one was a, it was like an open creative, very interpretable, um, and it took off. And and TikTok is very very smart with algorithms, um, in it's it's the way that it favors trends and challenges. So that Mercedes one, uh, for example, got I think it was nearly a billion views across all of the content, of which Mercedes would have paid for a very very small portion of it. Um, 
So like I say, whatever you do on there, you're, it's at the mercy of the users. If they don't pick it up and start making it, the campaign then fizzles out. But if it picks up, then it goes exponential and you get ridiculous, ridiculous return on investment. Because it's a really smart platform. The way it handles algorithms, that's why Vine didn't, didn't, work, uh, didn't, didn't stick around, um, is that the monetization and the algorithms and the analytics were nowhere near what TikTok is now, which is why I think TikTok has a, has a brighter, long-lasting future in comparison. But it is interesting to see how the platform, and Eliza, it would be good to get your, your view on this, but how I mean, we saw, even from starting when, when we kind of were helping out TikTok of, of coming west, because obviously they had a, a big presence in the east to start with, but then helping them generate that movement of influencers over to start creating content on the platform. But now, obviously, people being at home, people being a bit more bored, people having the opportunity to actually be a bit more creative. Um, Eliza, do you think that when we have normal social interaction, do you think that ability to create content will mean that there'll be a lot of drop off on, on users on TikTok? Um, I think TikTok was always having its growth moment. I think obviously everything that's happened has kind of forced people to really like discover the platform. But I think people are finding that they're finding entertainment on that platform, it's funny. Um, there's always something that's going to make you laugh that you want to share with your friends. And I think once they've got you on that hook, you're kind, you're you're stuck there. I mean, people always say like they go on TikTok for like two seconds and then they're stuck on that for like another fifteen minutes because mm-hmm. they just keep scrolling. I think the beauty of TikTok is it's just so raw. It's so original <clears throat> with some of the the creators and what they do on that platform. And at the heart of it, it just makes people laugh. And if you can make people laugh, then you've got them. Maybe there'll be some sort of drop off, but I think there's going to be a lot of new creators that have come to the platform because they've they've had that time and then they've grown their presence on there and brought over their followers from other platforms as well. So I think I think it's overall going to be a win for the platform. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. that's similar to maybe uh, how the other platforms are adapting. So just looking at um, Facebook launching their gaming platform and like, do you guys think that's taken too long? Like obviously Twitch has been huge for the past few years and it, it feels quite calculated that everyone's at home playing games and Twitch are having the the highest number of recorded users on the app or on the, on the platform. And then a week later, Facebook come out and say that they're going to launch their own gaming platform. What? Facebook always had um, a gaming, well, not always, but it's had for a very long time a gaming section um, where people can stream and and it's kind of like within the Facebook app. Um, and it did get a lot of views. It got a very small percentage compared to Twitch, but much closer to YouTube gaming. Um, but yeah, the, the steps are just this week, they released uh, a standalone Facebook gaming app for Android. It's coming out on some, some other platforms later, but... I think like we touched on earlier, so many of these things, like it, it, it's it's marketed as, oh, they've launched a new app, which is all well and good, but they've been working on these things for ages and ages and ages. Because of the current state and, and uh, everyone's consumption is up and Facebook know that better than anyone. Um, they know that how much time people are spending on social media at the moment. So they've sped up so many product projects and they're releasing stuff early because they know like the people are there, the people are looking for new stuff to do. So if, if you want to release something, it's got a much better chance of taking off. And you can also do a lot more testing in, in your early stages. Um, yeah. 
I think we also see. Sorry, go. So these things, these things were always going to be. They were always in the works. They were always going to happen. But um, it just feels like a lot is happening very quickly because everyone's rushing to jump on that big wave of users at the moment. Yeah, and I, th I think we're seeing that even with with brands and their their marketing strategies. I mean, so if you'll you'll attest to this, that we used to get a lot of real like structured RFPs, um, requests for proposals where it like was really planned out and it was like a long term plan. Whereas now it's a lot of brands coming to us and going, right, we don't really know what to do. What what would you suggest? Like, can we have some some ideas of how we can put out content that's that's keeping us relevant in these times, but also keeping sensitive to to the current times? I think people are quite worried about what content they put out. So they're putting those RFPs a little bit on the back burner and rather doing something that's a bit more reactive, which is something that we've been trying to get brands to do for a long time anyway. Yeah, I mean, the the briefs are so much more open-ended. I totally agree with you. Like we, we used to get briefs where they were written by someone who almost knew exactly what they wanted. It was much more just kind of fulfilling their asks and what they've kind of said. I want X amount of posts on this platform. Can you do it? Yes or no? And we've not... That's not always how we've worked. We've, we've always been quite creative and we've always loved to push those boundaries and, and suggest stuff back to clients. But um, now, I guess more than ever, and probably in the last six months, everything is a lot more open-ended. It's looking at not only our capabilities, but what we can do. A lot of the time we're being judged on innovation. We're being asked about what we feel like is our most innovative campaigns or where we've pushed, pushed stuff, which is also interesting because it goes back to the point of saying people are so scared to use these new platforms, but people also want to know how you can innovate for them. And there are so few clients where, where you can really push those boundaries and be like, do you know what we, we need to do this? We need to go for it. We need to test this platform. We need to jump on this now. Um, and yeah, unfortunately a lot of people are still very safe, but, but yeah, proposing those strategies, those new ideas, it, I mean, you can push it and push it and then you do eventually manage to, to chip through the mould at some point. But um, yeah, I don't know if that really I answers the question. Most, most like traditional clients, like they function in, in quarters and years and to, to enter a world where I don't know what's going to happen next week and no one does, let alone in two, three, four weeks. So the whole idea of like, like you say, we'd get RFPs where they'd say, oh, in a year's time, we want to be the most talked about, I don't know, drink in the country. And then we kind of lay out steps how how we would build a strategy throughout the year that would kind of build up to that that ultimate end goal. Whereas now it's kind of like, we don't know what's going on in the world. We can't really forecast two, three, four months ahead. So we have to move really, really quickly. And a lot of people just don't work to that speed. They're very, very uncomfortable if you say that, so we turn around, we can turn around, we can get content live in a matter of hours if we have to. But loads of traditional marketing managers, if you say, if you were to say, oh, we've got this great idea that we can do this weekend, that's terrifying. But that's how we have to work. An idea that we pitch for this week might, the news might change and next week it might be irrelevant for some reason. So yeah, the, the, the way that we work has completely changed. Um, but you see with like so many different um i mean how many times have like tv ads taken so long to to film with a big production crew and editing and then finally getting it out whereas in the last month how many brands have done tv ads um well created con longer form content that they're putting out on social 
that they've used either previous content or animators or found some way of creating content quickly that's reactive to the current situation. So if they can do it now, why couldn't they do it before? And I think, Jago, you said that you had done a bit of research into this and how like the shift from, from TV is, is now just being accelerated from by this. Uh, so when, well, we, we, we've had a client that had a, a big, big ad campaign planned for, for over, over the spring. And that, that total budget got cut massively. Obviously, out of home has changed completely. TV's changed completely. So, yeah, budget cuts across the board, but our budget's increased because we were, we were able to pivot and say, well, we can just, we can change the messaging to be like this. Whatever you give an influencer to do in this situation, it will end up way more authentic than, than any other channel because ultimately they're, they're people stuck at home just like everyone else. So you give them a creative brief and what they'll come up with will be much more relevant than anything you shot in a studio. Um, so yeah, so some people like say are cutting budgets across the board, but actually what we're finding is that budget is coming, coming into those remote solutions, AKA influencers. But then you're also still seeing, I, I kind of, I quite liked what you were saying, Eliza, when you were saying about copying and pasting and we, you're seeing a lot of that now where when you look at all the ads that have come out recently, they all start with a slow song, like an, an empty street saying, oh, we used to be together and now we're, now we're with you now. Like, it's just all, everyone's just jumped on the bandwagon and it's just doing the same thing. And again, they're being creative, but now they're just copying everything else. And I would also kind of challenge that we see that on TikTok as well. Um, I mean, regarding TikTok and then people copying and taking other trends and replicating them themselves, that works in much to the benefit of brands who are creating these challenges and getting people to interact and engage with these challenges by creating content and copying these challenges that their favorite TikTokers are doing and then doing it and then sharing it with their friendship group and then their friendship group doing it as well. That's a really great example of how you can really spread that awareness in a very organic and engaging way. I mean, it goes past and just liking a post or liking something that a brand has taken out. You're actively engaging and creating content around that. And I think that's very powerful for brands. But in terms of um, on the TV ad side and all these TV ads being very similar and the creativity kind of not existing there anymore because everybody's doing the same thing, I think this is the time to say something different. But I think the issue is brands are scared to say anything different because nobody else is saying anything different to what their peers are saying so they don't want to be the, the brand that says the wrong thing and causes outrage so you kind of you mm. can understand their viewpoint but this is the time to be creative and disrupt and say something diff different but say something meaningful so it's really funny about what your brand can do in this environment is it like many brands and companies are donating or um helping local communities but then also your brand can entertain people and that could just be it you could be that source of entertainment for somebody who's stuck at home and there's nothing to do. Like there's different ways you can see yeah. different things in this time. I think that it's, it's a natural reaction though. Like so, something like this happens and the immediate reaction is stop, stop everything. Um, and a lot of brands did, they stopped everything. Some people kept ads running and, and some of them were disasters, but um, yeah, stop everything. And then they kind of dip their toes back in, but in a safe way. So one person does, uh, a, a nice advert about um, how everyone's coming together. Another brand thinks, oh shit, we need to get something out there. And they do an iteration of it in their own way with their own spin. And some of them are quite good, and, and but generally they're all, they're all giving you the same message. But I think 
what will happen soon is people will get used to, or brands will get used to like the situation and then start to loosen up. So it kind of goes stop, safe. And then I think next, in the kind of next phase of this situation, we'll start to be able to get, inject some creativity into it. Um, so like we, like we talk about using influencers in TV, um, we'll actually start to see some more of their creativity um, on screen, as opposed to just using them as people who are at home with their families who can shoot content. They, they're going to start to be used as, oh, people who are actually fucking good at making interesting content. Um, and maybe we get them to do something creative to use on our TV, um, as opposed to just getting them to, I don't know, sit around with their family and, and, and relate to our, our desired audience. What are some of the good pieces of content that we've seen? So for you, any, any pieces of like branding or, or marketing that you've seen recently that's really stood out for you? I guess so quickly going back to, to Jago's point in terms of people pausing or people stopping, obviously, I think two days ago, P&G came out and said that they're still going to carry on spending and they're going to actually plow money into their marketing. And then today we've had Coca-Cola come out and say they're cutting all of their budgets, they're going to halt their marketing, they don't feel it's the right time. And I think that's something that we thought was interesting internally in, in terms of you've got two huge brands and, I mean, P&G own so many things that you, you, you see a brand and you're like, wow, that's, that, that's a small independent brand and, and you look it up and P&G actually bought it two years they're, ago. They're the, the world's second biggest uh, advertiser, I think. I think it's about 10 billion a year they spend. And they've just said that they're going to increase it. So yeah, so to say they're going to increase it, I think it's that it's that flip side where you've got the these smaller brands who are probably looking at the articles, going, "Oh well, Coca Cola are halting their budgets and they're not going to spend anymore, so maybe we should do the same." But you've got two real conflicting messages going out from from two of, I guess, like some of the biggest brands in the world. People are so scared to look like they're selling things but people are stuck at home and they're desperate for for that kind of instant gratification and buying something and getting that online order and being like that five minutes of I guess like happiness from something that you've ordered (laughs) online that maybe you've been looking at for ages and you haven't bought it because it's not been the right time and now you're thinking well actually I'll just get it because I'm not spending my money going to the pub two nights a week or I'm not doing x y and z Interestingly, I remember we uh, just before lockdown, we were working on we were doing some work for an automotive client, and uh, it was quite interesting because I heard through I think a friend of a friend who works at a car dealership saying that they'd ha- actually had a huge spike in deposits on cars. Apparently, the reason being that everyone's summer holidays were getting cancelled, um, and they were all getting refunds. So they knew they weren't going to go on a big, expensive family holiday this summer. So they were buying new cars. So like you say, it's, it, you're right. The money doesn't stop. The money moves. It, it goes to different places. Um, I can't count the number of things that I've tried to buy that are sold out. And I think, yeah, people seem to think that there's, there's this big freeze in the economy and nothing's moving and nothing's going anywhere. But that only happens if you, if you make that happen. But so do you not think, just going back to your point saying how like smaller brands seeing the the big kind of conglomerates or the or the big brands like coca-cola seeing that they are they're stopping their marketing spend and then trying to follow them but i mean what we've always seen at goat is that the big brands are the ones that take ages to 
innovate and to do something different and and really try and kind of move out of their comfort zone whereas the smaller brands have that opportunity to pivot really quickly and and change what they're doing and change with their messaging and really make their brand relevant to what the current situation is yeah no that is so true that the bigger brands and I think from our experience we've got we work with some of the biggest brands in the world. So I think we can we can speak with confidence that we know that that's how they work and the sign-off processes and who it has to go through. There's so few of them who are actually trailblazing and being like, yeah, we've got this money, let's test it, let's see if it works. There are just so few brands that are doing that. But there, yeah, there are so many things you can be doing and I think it's the time to, to get those quick wins and looking at the fact that, I think we we've spoken about it. People are spending more time on social and AR filters are a thing that people are doing more than ever because they've got nothing else to do and they're looking at their phone and your friends are sharing it and you're being like, lol, this is a shit filter or this is pointless. I don't really know what this is. Like the Bill Clinton one that's going around at the moment. I've got no idea what it means or like I get that they're people's favourite albums, but does the positions mean something different? Like does anyone care that that's your favorite album? I don't really get it, but people are so bored that they're doing it that it yeah, is those yeah. those cheap, quick wins and brands cheap. don't seem to be being quick enough. But there's no reason why something like that, Bill Clinton thing, you say everyone's bored and they're just, just getting involved. There's no reason why that couldn't have been, obviously it was completely organic, but there's no reason why that couldn't have been a Spotify or a Beats or an Apple Music or whoever, um, but they just they just they just didn't think of it. Obviously, nothing beats an organic trend like that. But um, I think also just going back to like what we were saying, you're talking about Coca-Cola and talking about smaller brands. And earlier as well, we were talking about platforms and how um, platforms are testing more things than ever. But the problem is that brands aren't. The platforms know that there's there's millions of people out there. They're spending more time on there than ever. So they're thinking, right, fuck, let's, let's test some stuff. Let's try and get some stuff off the ground. But... Very few brands are thinking in that way. Um, and I think particularly with, with the likes of Coca-Cola saying, look, we're going we're gonna to halt on a lot of our advertising, means you're not bidding against them. There's TV ad slots are cheaper than ever. Um, like paid ads, are, paid ads are slowly dropping, I think. Why don't, I just try, why don't I just try some stuff? Why don't I just try some small activations, see if any, any of this stuff takes off? And it's almost like while the giants are sleeping, you can... You can build your brand. It's like I mentioned this earlier. It's like the hair and the tortoise. While the hair is taking a break, you just keep building your brand, and like you just keep slowly trying out new things, and then it might it might take off. But everyone knows that Coca Cola can do a fucking good ad campaign. But now they're not. Why don't Why don't you try and do one? It's a level playing field. Like that's how brands should mm, be seeing good. it. That what you are doing is just as equal as everyone else because everyone hit pause for a day or two and there was that week or or a couple of days or whatever it was that total uncertainty and everyone being like holy shit what the fuck is happening we're we're all now at home no one knows what we're doing there were those brands that were so quick to adapt and I think looking at I guess other ways how platforms have adapted and IGTV launching their desktop version that happened did that come too late should that have come earlier in in lockdown I think we're in our sixth week now and brands were very quick to it I mean in the first week of lockdown all of those big brands instantly went to IG live and 
looking at how they could go live and what they could do and especially people doing home workouts you you don't want to watch that from your phone when you you've got your phone propped up on your fireplace and you're actually yeah. on your like hands and knees trying to hold a plank or or do your push-ups or whatever it might be so did they do that too late was it that it turned around have we already seen like the rise and fall of instagram live i think i think obviously we're, we're going coming into this situation the first thing everyone does is go live um and everyone everyone was aware everyone everyone saw every single influence every single brand they know going live and it was just a thing to do and i think with marketers like they all it's it's all monkey see monkey do like they see they see something they want to replicate it like we were talking about tv ads earlier um and yeah, then there's a huge rush to it. It gets oversaturated. It then dips down. But then I think there will be a healthy increase afterwards. I think the the level of use will still be higher than it was before. But um, I don't know. Everyone rushing around being like, "Oh, we've got to do a live. We've got to do a live." I think that's I think that's kind of over. Eliza, from your side, do you reckon that, like from the platform side of things, should they be like trying to preempt what brands will want and trying to add in like? features like going live and whatever do you think they need to constantly keep innovating like as jago says when there's going to be that dip off where people stop doing lives do they then need to come up with something different and do something completely different or do they just keep fixing what they already have instagram live i think they have to compete with the functionality of streaming platforms such as twitch that are so good at delivering that live streaming content that to keep people going live on the platform, you've got like to offer the same capabilities that a platform such as Twitch has, like live donations, that kind of thing. I think platforms always have to innovate. Um, I mean, Instagram are doing it with small businesses at the moment, allowing brand profiles to have gift card options, grocery orders, and that kind of thing to support the small businesses who are still on Instagram and still uh, participate in giving the ad revenue that goes into the platform, but really finding a way for them to still be active on that, that platform and still be able to operate even if their physical stores are shut, they can still find a way to keep their customers engaged by supporting their business through gift cards or, or numerous other ways that they can support businesses. I think that's really important. I think Pinterest are doing something similar. I think Sophie mentioned it earlier where they're supporting smaller businesses on that platform as well. And I think that's super important during this time as well because the small biz businesses financially are the ones that are suffering the most. But they're also, in the eyes of the platform, they're the small businesses are the ones that keep them going. Obviously, you've got huge, huge brands spending millions and millions a year, but you've also got thousands and thousands of smaller companies spending, I don't know, up to 100,000 a year that combined is massive. So for a lot of online companies and small small companies to go bust and stop spending would be a huge, huge hit for Facebook and Instagram. So it is important that they support them because they are a revenue stream for them ultimately. And I guess you could kind of look at the influencers as being those part of those small businesses that are helping grow the, the channels and growing the platforms. Like influencers are kind of the barrier between your businesses and your your users. Like they aren't just your general public who are adding up the numbers, but they also aren't the big businesses that are pumping in lots of money into the platforms. They're kind of the ones that are helping that organic growth. And I think that's where their their content and the way they use the platforms is so important because it, it does have that influence on everyone. One thing that I want to, us to kind of think about, we'll have a discussion around is the different content that we've seen come from, from influencers. I mean, obviously 
people know about Joe Wicks and how he's been using YouTube Live to do his fitness courses and, and everything. But any other ideas or any other bits that we've seen where influencers have really used the platform as well? I think, Eliza, you had an interesting one. I mean, there's a whole trend of challenges and it's not just influencers, it's it's normal users of Instagram that are doing these challenges. But I think the, this kind of content really inspires people to go out like like the 5K, um, 5K run and then you donate £5 and you nominate £5. I mean, some of the biggest influencers are doing this and it's spread across everybody in the UK have kind of adopt, adopted this kind of challenge and really gone and run with it. Gymshark are doing a similar one at the moment, the uh, sweaty selfie. So there's if the hashtag NHS sweaty selfie, they kicked it off with all their ambassadors. And you basically post a sweaty selfie on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, they'll donate five pounds for every post. Uh, they were, I think it's up to one hundred seventy-five thousand pounds. So they could have just donated that straight to the uh, straight to the NHS, but they're doing a final activation to try and get people involved, which I think is brilliant. And interestingly, if you see it, if you see it as I think they've donated forty-two thousand so far, so that's about eight thousand, just over eight thousand posts. So. 40 grand for 8,000 posts is, in my book, a good return. Obviously, like, not everyone is an influencer, not everyone has that audience, but you're still getting a huge amount of coverage. They're also doing a lot for trainers, aren't they, as well? I think, Eliza, you know about this. They're, 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 they're basically looking to support personal trainers who are obviously not able to see their clients face-to-face. I mean, they were they were the first to kind of really support their industry, so obviously their, their sports and mm. fitness. And they kind of looked outside of their own company and was like, well, how, how are we going to support the people that use our products on the everyday use? So these are the personal trainers who can no longer go to their workplace and go to the gym and do personal training sessions or even go outside with clients and, and run fitness sessions with them. So they found a way. They created a solution to a problem that happened very quickly of how to get these people working again and being able to make money and the way was doing that was sharing their Facebook platform to host daily lives of training sessions with the everyday personal trainer. They don't it doesn't matter they're they're not a huge influencer. It's it's people that need that work and they're giving the opportunity in their platform to give these people a space to do what they love to do and do what their their job is. And I think that's a really great message to have. It again circles back to what age, what should your brand be doing right now? And sometimes it's just supporting your industry as a whole. I think you always got to focus on how what, what problems can we solve as a brand? And I think Gymshark have done it so well because they haven't just looked at, okay, there's a big problem of funding the, the NHS, so we need to try and help solve that. But they've also, as you said, looked in their own industry and said, right, what are the different problems that we can help solve? And that's then even expanded into helping companies. I mean, like at GOAT, we have our... Um, like Starkey's been been great in setting up um, per, sessions on on YouTube with with one of the Gymshark athletes um, in the mornings, and like that solved the problem for Gymshark. It solved the problem for Lucy the trainer, and it solved the problem for Goat of keeping us engaged. Um, oh, we guys, we've actually all got a got a clap now. It is. Eight yeah, o'clock. I was about to say it's going to get loud in a minute. <laughs> it is going to get loud. Is it? Yeah. Is it eight o'clock? I'm standing in my. You'll probably be able to hear it in a minute. Oh, everyone's clapping. Yeah. People with pots and pans. I didn't think people in Fulham got this wrong. I'm in a, I'm in a, in the countryside. I'm in a village in Chetnow, and it's <laughs> deafening. <laughs> right. Well, I thought the last ten minutes we would spend trying to think of an actual name for this podcast, because as we said in the beginning, it'd be pretty silly to have a strategy podcast and and not actually have a name for it. 
to be honest, Tom producing it will, I mean, probably be offended when last night I just replied and all of the ideas that we came up with were so <laughs> crap. Should we read through the idea with the high- no, idea I mean, it was like had. the strategists. <laughs> I said strat. I said strat chat. I thought strat chat. I quite like strat chat. Yeah. I like something about strategy strat-chat. or the process, but something strategy. Strategy. I really strategy. like strategy. That it does. It doesn't have too much of a focus on the strategy. On the, I think the strat is the most important part of strategy. Yeah. I like the strat chat to be honest. It seems quite casual and fun. The strat chat. Strat chat. That's strat that's chat. so us. Just casual and fun. Young, fun, fearless. <laughs> um, okay. Well, well, the strat chat. I've I got know. something random to end it on. So yeah. Go on, yeah. The weekend. The singer. The weekend has yeah, um, yeah. backed Captain Tom to reach the number one spot. <laughs> uh, yeah, because he's just released a song, hasn't he? Yeah. I bought it earlier. I mean, oh, how yeah. fucking yeah, yeah. random is that? The singer penned everyone in the UK, please support Captain Tom. Oh my God, oh. how... That is... Yeah, yeah and you, you, can, you, can, you can buy it for 99p and then all the proceeds go to the NHS. It's just brilliant. Um, right, that. anyway, guys, um, my laptop is going to die. So yeah, probably best to... Uh, sounds like so. Um, cool. Well, thanks thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week chatting about more things, great things that we've seen, um, great things that we see coming up. But yeah, Sophie, say goodbye. Yeah, see ya. Thanks for listening, Cheers, guys. guys. Strategy? Let's talk a little strategy, guys. What else could you possibly want? I came back from going okay. for a wee and everyone was clapping. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go for it? Did you go for a wee in the middle of the podcast? I texted you. I said, going for a wee, BRB.